A woman's body has disappeared from the morgue. Her husband is brought in, and soon it becomes clear he killed her. But while at the morgue, he keeps seeing messages left behind for him. Did his wife stage it all? And if so, how can he make sure her body is found and he doesn't go down for it? Fam, fam, I will dive straight in, but I just need a couple of minutes of your time. Listen, I was in the gym. I was so deep into this playlist. It was one of those Spotify generated playlists, you know, all out of 2000s or whatever. So the compilation was quite basic. So, of course, after going through, you know, speeding up like next song, next song, uh, it gave me another playlist. You know how that Spotify does that thing? Once you surpass the normal level, once you go to the unhinged stage, it just loops you into another one. It's like, hey, based on this one, you might like this. And this one was called Deep Dive 2000s. I will put it in the description box because it is not getting the recognition that it needs to be getting. It's everything. From Hannah Montana to Rebelde. Rebelde medley, like live shows to like all of the cult Avril Lavigne songs. Literally every single thing that you can think of. Like it, it brought me back to the years that I never left. It, it did something to my nostalgia. It did something to my nostalgic self. But then the song that is intro-worthy was Seven Things by Miley Cyrus from her Hannah Montana days. She goes to list the seven things she hates about somebody. You're weighing your games, you're insecure, you love me, you like her. You know, she just goes on and on. And then the seven thing she hates most about him is that he makes her love him. And I was like, wow, you caved quickly. <laughs> you literally set out the agenda and then you fucked it all up. And then the last minute of the song is her quite literally saying now that she named seven things she hates about him well it's only right for her to name seven things she loves it's like this is the most 2000s thing that has ever happened like you have set your own agenda and then you just decided not to follow the memo what year was this song from let me just do a quick goog 2008, most 2008 thing ever. I was too old to be following this career at that point. But speaking of agendas and setting a different agenda, you might have been thinking, why did I go AWOL like without you know saying a thing? Like, am I changing up the schedule? Am I suddenly not following my own agenda just like Miley did here? Kind of. So this year, quite literally every single aspect of my life is changing up. I will probably speak about it one day, most probably in the main channel. So make sure you subscribe to that. I'll put that in the description box as well. But what that means is that I just won't have as much time to release an episode here each week and then followed by a mini-sode. So we are going to two episodes a month, one mini-sode and one main episode. Main episode-wise, we are still going to be doing things in freeze in order to follow the pattern, speak about motives. So that isn't changing much in quality, rather it's just changing in quantity of how many are released a month. So, you know, January, February, March, we're going to be talking about vigilantes, then the other three months about another topic. You get it. You get how math works. Minisode-wise, I'll still either do deeper dives into certain topics or fake crime. So again, not changing 
in quality, in content, just in quantity. And then this is so that I can keep my other channel so that I can monetize on that this year. And if you blow up any of them, well, then I can fucking quit my job in it. <laughs> I can quit that job and then just do content creation. Cool. Now that we got that out of the way and I will repeat it on the main episode, just so because I know that some people are fake fans and they don't listen to minisodes. If you are here, thank you. <laughs> that is it. Now, let me tell you the story about a movie that is called The Body or El Cuerpo in Spanish. In Espanol, it was done in 2012. There was another movie that I have covered here, The Invisible Guest, that was from 2016. And if you have listened to that episode, if you watch that movie, um, this one is giving very much the invisible guest vibe by the end of it. I was like, there was an era. If you are Spanish, Alejandro hit me up. <laughs> Alejandro and Violeta, the only family listens to me that is Spanish. Also, yeah, if you are just like Spanish in general, hit me up because I feel like there was an era in Spain where people just made movies like this. Like, you're gonna tell me by the end of it, do you feel the same? <laughs> but like the whole plot twist of this movie I was like it's giving it's giving Mario Casas it's giving the invisible guest so let me tell you the plot of the movie we are in the morgue like the whole movie like 90% of it except from the flashbacks is based in the morgue let's go the movie starts out quite ambiguously there is a guy just running across the field you feel like you're in the woods like some horror movie shit and then he gets out he still keeps running but now on the road and there's a car that hits him and he is in the hospital suddenly in a coma now the police is picking up inside of the morgue because the guy that just got run over by a car seems to have been the night guard inside of that morgue. And you can see him on the CCTV footage just noticing something happens with the cameras that they are switched off by somebody inside of the building, goes towards the morgue area, towards the area where they keep the bodies to check up on it, and then you see him running past his post just out of the building. And before he ran out, he made a call to the police. They called back, but he just didn't respond because he was already hit by the car. The police officer who is at the morgue called Jaime, who is played by Jose Coronado. By the way, now when I see this actor, because he's quite famous in Spain, when I see this bitch, I know what kind of twist is coming. So I'm prepared. So that, that wasn't a good choice already. <laughs> I should have seen this movie and then seen the invisible guest and just been prepped for the actual plot twist. Well, he had just discovered that the body had gone missing. So this guard was the only person working that night and on his watch, when the cameras have been switched off, a body of a woman called Micah had disappeared. She didn't have the autopsy yet, but she had like a preliminary examination where they determined the cause of death was a heart attack. The important thing for the whole plot, though, is that she was declared dead because, of course, like she was brought to the morgue after her husband, this guy that works for a pharmatech company that Micah owns. So her husband works under her and she holds most of the shares of the company. Literally, she owns his ass, as we are about to learn. 
but he was the person that found her in their home, which is technically a freaking palace. I don't know why anybody needs a home this big. And she just looked like she was sleeping. However, then he called the ambulance. They determined she had a heart attack and they brought her body to the morgue. So they declared her dead. They stated that the cause of death was heart attack. Indeed, they have her possessions on file, but she is yet to have the autopsy. Well, now that's really hard because her body is gone and they immediately look into the fact that her husband is working for her. He becomes the number one suspect real fucking quick. And oh, mentioning the husband, what is he doing right now? Well, we actually see Micah's family in their palace and they're just watching a wedding video of them. And this video portrays the absolute unhinged personality of Micah's. I just, it gives you the Katy Perry vibe, you know, is it the one that got away? Which one is that video of like, that starts in a church, in a chapel, with the two of them getting married and then she runs out and whatever. Yeah, I think it's that. It's again, 2000 vibes. It's all nostalgia. This, the topic of this video is nostalgia. Well, well, during the wedding video that they're watching, Micah just tells Alex, the guy that she is marrying, at the altar, no, I can't get married to you. And he's just like, what are you doing? Like, everybody's here. What, what, what the fuck? And there is like an uncomfortable minute of silence. And after that, she just starts laughing like, oh my god, you're so silly. Of course I will marry you. And you're like, okay, uh, this woman is actually not okay in the head. <laughs> She's played by Belen Reda, who also had like a couple of movies lined up during those years. Perfect choice for this role. Just perfect fucking choice, because the level of unhinged is there. Well, the family is watching this wedding video without Alex, because he seems to be having a nap inside of the room. So one of Micah's sisters or one of the family members goes in and they're like, we're going to let you rest. Like we see how grief stricken you are. And then you see them leave, but Alex doesn't seem to be resting. He's already up and he's like creepily observing them go. And you're like, okay, he's just waiting them to leave. To go where? To go to his lover's house. Because, of course, the bitch is a cheater. He's cheating with a much younger woman. May I add so? She hot. I'm not going to deny that. Still, much younger woman. So we see him going into the place where this woman lives that looks kind of like a garage. It's one of those artsy places. As soon as he goes in, he starts kissing this girl, telling her they're finally free. And then he gets a call how the body had disappeared from the morgue and how they need him there straight away to clarify a couple of things for them. As soon as he hangs up, Alex tells his lover Carla, I know what I did and how. So you immediately realize that he is the killer. This isn't a secret. Like This woman, Carla, probably also knows it and was in on it to a certain degree. So now Alex goes to the morgue and this is where the majority of the movie is going to be happening. Jaime is smoking inside of a police station because he doesn't give a fuck also because it's Spain so technically you can do whatever the fuck you want when it comes to smoking in closed spaces and he basically tells him listen so we know the body hasn't just disappeared like on its own as in it's not organ trafficking it's not really a sect right they wouldn't have just stolen one body 
they wouldn't have bothered to break into a morgue and steal only one body, which means that it must be something personal. Did she have any enemies? And Alex is saying, like, no, nobody. What about you? Like, any beef with any family members? They already spoke to the sisters and they're asking him, you know, where were you today? We went to your home to literally pick you up and you weren't there, the grief-stricken husband of the year. To which he tells them that he just got out to take some painkillers. And you're like, then and there, just asking, get get the painkillers out of your pocket. But they don't do that. He will do it later, but they don't do it on the spot. They already know. He's lying. They leave him inside of that room, but technically he is not arrested yet. So they haven't, like, taken things out of his pockets. They haven't taken his phone, which is kind of a dumb fucking move during this whole movie. I was like, this is such a plot hole. But... As they leave to speak to this scientist who basically arrived to tell them that, yes, you know, she had done preliminary examination of the body, the cause seemed to be the heart attack, but they still haven't conducted an autopsy. Well, inside of the room, Alex calls Carla because he's a fucking dumbass, but then we realize he deletes every single call, so that phone will not have the call history recorded. Alex tells Carla he's being kept, he's being interrogated by the police, he doesn't know when he's gonna get out, and that she should go to the hospital basically to check on the guy that was run over, to see, you know, did the guard wake up, is he still in a coma, etc. While that's happening, the doctor, that autopsy tech outside, is telling them that without a body, there's no autopsy, so... They cannot actually determine that foul play had happened and maybe he killed her, he took that body in order to commit a perfect crime and now he will, you know, have that death on the record, they won't be able to do anything about it and if they don't find the body, well then they cannot figure out that he was the person to kill her. And she asks Jaime what he thinks about him, like sort of what kind of read do they have on his personality. Jaime immediately spotted like a thousand red flags. The main one was that he speaks about his wife in the past. And his wife, Alex's wife, had died today. So not a great thing, not like the best thing, because Jaime's wife had also passed away and that happened years ago. And he still speaks about her in the present tense. So that immediately rubs him off the wrong way. Now they left Alex alone As if it's not creepy enough that that is the location where everything is taking place, the lights seem to be switching on and off. Finally, the lights just completely go off. So one of the police officers takes a flashlight and goes deep into the morgue to inspect it. And they leave Alex unattended. They don't lock him in or anything. So he is just freely moving there room to room and he gets inside of the room where the bodies have been held. And there, that gurney, that box where Micah's body had been held, seemed to be open. And there is a bag of items waiting just for Alex. We see the lockers on the side, so it seemed like somebody had opened up that locker and then just exposed all of these items on that gurney for him to see. And among the items is the wedding band. It's just a normal thing that they have found on her body. But there is also a substance called TH16. It's an actual bottle. And as we will learn later, that is exactly what has been used to spike Micah's drink to kill her. 
But now, of course, unless he was a complete dumbass, he wouldn't have just left this substance that he used to kill his wife by her own body when she was found. Which means that this is a major clue that, you know, you kind of blink and you miss it. And you shouldn't miss it because you have to be thinking who else would have known about this substance? Who else would have been in the possession of it to be plotting now to mentally torture freaking Alex? Well... Instead of thinking that, like a fucking dumbass, he puts that bottle into the pocket and he gets a flashback on their marriage. Rather, on the last part of their marriage, on the part where he actually spikes her wine and then brings it to her when she's having a bath at 9am that morning. So, his wife, Micah, had apparently been to a trip to LA, she has just returned, and Alex just brought her this glass of wine for her to relax. He says to her he has to go to work, and she says, you're the director, nobody dismisses you but me. She pulls the classic teacher quote. This bitch was unhinged. I love her. I love her so much. I think I'm gonna watch, is it called Behind Julia's Eyes? Julia's Eyes, something like that. I think she plays the main actress in this. I'm gonna watch that as well this week. Let me know if you want a rundown on that. Belen, Belen, legend. So you can kind of see that this rubs him the wrong way, that this is the dynamic, it's some toxic-ass marriage, because he doesn't want to leave angry. So he just says, you know, I don't want to argue, you're back, like he just kisses her, and then leaves that toilet, but he watches her down that wine. And then he just goes into the room. Before he leaves, he has a bit of a meltdown. He cries a bit. You know, I mean, it's it's really hard being a killer out there. That You have probably premeditated this, but sure. And as he's having a bit of a cry, we see that Micah is out of the bath. And she's sort of putting the robe on and calling her PA or whatever this person is. I thought this was going to be more of a plot. It isn't. She just calls her PA and she says, yeah, Alex, he's not going to come in today. No, no, he's not sick. Actually, can you just write up a letter of dismissal for my husband? No, it's my company. So I make every single decision here. And Alex is like, Mike, what, what the fuck? Like, why are you dismissing? What is going on? And she just hangs up the phone and laughs at his face, saying, I didn't call anybody. You're such a child. When I tell you, I was like, this bitch is a psychopath. This bi- I mean, even I'd be like, you know, in the fictitious world, I'd be like, I, I, I'd want her that as well. Like, what the fuck? This is the dynamic. This is what I have to cope with every single day. So we are back in the morgue. This was the flashback, right? We are back in that morgue. And just as it happens, the lights suddenly go on. Everybody, every single police officer finds him there. And they're, of course, suspecting that he was the one to just break in to take something out of that evidence locker. So they search him. You know, they tell him, turn your pockets over. He doesn't. So they forcefully search him and they find that bottle of TH-16. Despite of them finding this incriminating evidence on him now, he, Alex, says, you know, he feels sick, like it's too much. He wasn't the one to place this, of course, of course. Someone's trying to frame him, so he just needs a toilet break. As soon as he goes into this toilet where they just let him be alone, he calls Carla, his lover, to find out if that guy's still in a coma. And he's panicked. He's like, did you tell anybody? We need to figure this out. Oh my god. 
god, Carla, I love you. And I'm like, bitch, why don't you suspect her? If she knows what you have used, like a dumb bitch that you are, what if she is the one that had plotted this? But of course, he's in love. He doesn't suspect that. Which, like idiot <laughs> she says while well, she didn't suspect anything out of this situation in real time are you doing a spoiler alert thing are you spoiling it 10 minutes in idiot so inside of that toilet he hangs up he splashes water into his face and then he sees that there is a window open and there's an envelope that somebody put through that open window just waiting for him Inside of that envelope is this business summit invitation. But on the back of it, there's a line. I close my eyes and you're with me. We go into another flashback. And this flashback is of Alex coming home late, supposedly from work, quote unquote. We already know that, you know, he, he cheating. He walks into this freaking castle that him and Micah live in, and it's kind of a really creepy atmosphere. There's a song playing from the record player, and next to that record player is that exact same business invitation. And we see Micah is all dolled up. She's all dressed up for the dinner that they were supposed to go. She couldn't get him in the office. She called her PA, she called his phone, and he has excuses lined up. He has them on the ready. It is such a she knows moment where you're like, she knows he's cheating, but he has the excuses on the ready. It's like, oh, the phone was in the briefcase. I just had to go check on another lab. It's like, okay, mate, like you have lied before. We all know a narcissist when we see one. Once he gaslights her big time, he just says, I'm gonna go change suits and then we can go have dinner. And as he is about to go up the stairs to have a shower, Micah says it just strikes her. She isn't as young as she once was. And that he is the one that's coming home late from work. And this scene was the most powerful scene of this whole movie because it's just so unhinged. She asks him, tell me I won't lose you. Just tell me that you are not going to go anywhere. And she makes out with him and they seemingly do it. They don't even go out for dinner. And you can just see that she is holding on to this, that she wants to be in this marriage so hard and he just doesn't. He's just there for the sake of the money. Now, as the two of them are sleeping next to each other, well, he wakes up and she still seems asleep. And there's a text message ping. So he gets up and checks his phone and the message is from Carla. And the message says, I close my eyes and you are with me. And at this moment, Micah's eyes open. So you are kind of thinking like, did she see it? Like, we just heard a ping. So... It's not possible that she has seen it. Like, again, another fucking clue. Another clue. Pay attention. Could she have seen it? No, because the ping had just happened. And she was asleep. You get me? You get me? We are in present time again. He tears that message apart. You know, he tears every little pieces into little pieces. And then he puts it into the toilet. But the toilet won't flush when I tell you. I was not mentally prepared for this next part. If you decide to watch this movie, skip. Skip forward. When you come to this moment, skip forward. Because 
the gag reflex that I have had, guys, this person, because the cop is coming now, right? Like being like, hey, we need to go back into the interrogation room. Well, he needs to dispose of this piece of paper that he has just put into the toilet. What does he do? What does he do, guys? He he picks those papers up from the dirtiest toilet of them all and he swallows them. He swallows this business invitation out of the toilet. Okay, cool. That still gave me a gag reflex. Now I'm just thinking about it. Disgu- the most disgusting thing I have seen in my life. So they bring him back into the control room. And it is a control room because they have finally discovered where the camera system was manipulated. They discover a hole. And that hole seems to lead through the air duct to the rooftop. There is a footprint outside, but it's pissing down with rain at this moment. They just know they won't be able to do anything with that footprint. They won't be able to connect it to anybody. But somebody seems to have changed the calendar date inside of that control room. And the date has been changed to the 20th of March of 2012. And they ask him, does that day mean anything to you, Alex? Because also, once this intruder was in to manipulate those cameras, to switch them all off, except from that one pointing to the guard, well, they also changed the code to get out through to where the bodies are. And guess what the code is? It's that same exact date, right? So now we go to the flashback and we see Alex put that exact same code to enter a lab. Once he enters this lab, we see him putting some samples inside of a fridge and he shuts it and Micah is there, just behind the shut door. You're like, oh my god, this woman is an actual nightmare. I love her so much. She says, you know, her PA let her in. And at this point, I was like, who is this bitch? Who is this PA, this Christina person that we keep hearing about? When do we see her? I'm dumb. I shouldn't have been paying attention. I would have been paying attention to the wrong things in this movie. Otherwise, I would have probably figured it out a lot earlier. And she tells Alex that she saw him put in the date. You know, this date, we just find out because Micah is as confused as we are. Isn't some birthday, anniversary, something logical that you do when you are married, happily married? Well, she asks him what happened on that date. You put dates on everything, whether it is good or bad. And he just dismisses it. Like, oh, it's just a date. Like, mate, if this is a pattern of yours, you dumb fuck, then don't put a date on it. She asks him, does he have any plans for lunch? And we have just seen him, before Micah came in, get a text from his lover that she's going to wait for him. They're going to meet up for lunch. Well, now he says, yes, I mean, I had plans, but I can cancel those. And as they get out of the lab, this building is fuck knows on what floor. I thought this was going to turn sinister real quick because Micah takes his glasses off. She asks him to trust her and then she moves him towards the window. Then she tells him to open his eyes and she shows him that she just bought him a brand new motorbike. It's such a sad display of a relationship. It's just like, yep, he's there just for the body. And she's making it very obvious. She's quite literally buying his love. 
Well, from that flashback, we go back into the real time where the police is telling him that they figured out that there is this goods elevator. So the elevator where they transport things for the morgue and that lift has been used to take the body out. They're questioning him. What is your shoe size? Are we going to find a cigarette butt in front that belongs to you? Are we going to find any more evidence that you have been trying to hide now in the rain? And as they're inside of that goods elevator, the door just opens. So they go out, but they see sprinklers because it seems like something has triggered a fire alarm. So everybody's sort of running through those sprinklers inside of the building and At that moment, Alex sees the opportunity to just go into some side room in order to call his lover again. On that call, he tells her he saw the security code. It has been changed. The day, the day we met has been used. I can feel that this is Micah. I can feel that she is alive. She is alive. She is fucking with us. So you you need to figure this out. Because if Micah is alive, that means you are in danger. Because if she knew... If she knew, you know, the whole message, the only logical explanation was that she actually woke up. She saw that message. She knew. And that's why she put it onto that business summit card. She saw me and put that code inside of the lab. That means that she knew. And now her death is certified. So she can't be blamed for anything. If she murders you, she can't be blamed because she's passed away. Like nobody can blame a dead person. You need to run away. Your life is in danger. And as he's saying that, he's picking up like that paper that goes around the dead person's toes. I don't know how better to explain it, but this paper doesn't have Micah's name on it. It has Carla's name on it. So again, it has just been planted in this room where somebody had known that due to this fire alarm, he's going to go to. So of course, that increases his paranoia. And he tells her he loves her. They're going to deal with that. And then we see a zoom in of Jaime listening to that last bit of the call. Alex, of course, doesn't notice. He just, you know, hangs up, deletes that phone call. And Jaime is like, let me guess, your sister. Because that's the excuse he used before. Like, yeah, I just have to call my sister. But here, Jaime takes his phone. They will soon realize that the call log has been deleted. Like, for the past, he has never kept a single message or a single call on his phone. By this point, they put Alex into a locked room. They're like, okay, cool, we can't still arrest you, but we have just been examining this TH16 thing that we have found in your pocket after you claim not to have anything to do with it. And apparently TH16 is some combination of chemicals that is extracted from reptiles. It's super rare, but in blood it causes cardiac arrest within eight hours and leaves no trace. So the only thing you have to do is give it to somebody and expect them to, on the dot, in eight hours, be dead, and it will never be traced to you. Now, the room that they have left Alex in, well, it seems to have multiple doors to it. Fuck me if I know this morgue has about like 100 offices and doors leading to just more dead bodies. So, 
Alex, who at this moment is actually at some point of hallucinations, like he probably hasn't had like water, beverage, food for quite some time. So he is just actually hallucinating of Micah just being behind him at all times. He thinks she's definitely behind every single thing that's happening in that morgue. And he hears music. And as he approaches this door that is in that room, he just decides to walk in. And it is yet another room where the bodies have been covered. They're just in body bags. And there is a phone ringing inside of one of those bags. So what does this man do? He opens up a bag of a corpse where the corpse is literally inside. And he just decides, yeah, I'm going to take this phone. This phone call is for me, mate. (laughs) Mate. Guess who is the caller on the other side of that phone? It is Micah. And as he answers, it just seems like there are whimpers on the other side. And then the phone cuts off. He checks who the body belongs to. And it belongs to somebody called Javier Alonso. He doesn't seem to register the name. Like as in, it just doesn't seem to ring the bell. So he sees somebody run out through yet another door, the door that is now in this second room. And, well, he sees the door moving. He doesn't actually see the person, but because he's paranoid, he's thinking that's Micah. Checking that phone now, he realizes the caller is Micah. That is her number. So he rings it back. And a girl at the restaurant that is just cleaning up picks up saying that, yeah, this person left the phone. Are you coming to pick it up? But he recognizes the girl's voice because this is a place called Arabesco where him and Micah already used to come to dine. This waitress tells him that the phone had been found there tonight and if he had killed his wife in the morning and if it takes eight hours, she would have definitely been dead by this point. That she found it in the toilet and then it just keeps ringing, she just keeps getting calls. So Alex asks her, does the call screen give you the option to redirect? And she says it does, so... He's, again, thinking this is Micah's phone because that's the option that Micah's phone has which means she might still be alive. How did she pull this off? It's something probably to do with catalepsy, you know? She must have been then given an antidote by somebody here, and this is how. She then went to this restaurant, like left the phone behind, and has planned everything to frame him. As he hangs up that phone call, we see the flashback of the two of them at that same restaurant being served by that same waitress. And he asks Micah, what are we celebrating? She tells him that they signed the agreement. She's going to be going to LA. You know, she's kind of trying to just hold his hand in this romantic way at the table. And he just doesn't really give it to her. Why don't you come with me? He gives another bullshit excuse. Like, oh, the labs need me. I'm such an important member of this company that you have hired me at. And then we see this guy from the distance, from the bar, eyeing Micah out. And she kind of seems to recognize him. So she excuses herself. She says hi to this guy. She just walks over to him. And once she returns, Alex is intrigued. So he asks, like, oh, who is that? To which Micah responds, it's a new lawyer. She just wants to revise the marriage contract, you know? The clause in particular that she would like to revise is the property division clause. 
I just want to have everyone at my feet. Well, not the whole world, but just you, Alex. Another awkward moment where he's just like, okay, fuck, I'm not getting anything, even if I divorce her. And then she starts laughing like a manic person. Be like, just kidding with you. It's so easy. Like, you're so dumb. Like, you fall for it every time. And you're like, okay, okay. So he's like, great, funny, super hilarious. And I'm just yet again at your mercy. So who was the guy again? To which Micah tells him that it's actually her psychoanalyst, not her lawyer. We don't know then and there did he buy into that, but we'll soon learn because we are back into the present moment inside the morgue, which is when Alex decides with that phone in his hand now to call his lover. He's begging her to help him figure out who Javier Alonso is. He believes that the body that he hasn't even seen, BTW, this man has literally just gone into a random body bag to pick up the phone. He hasn't even like unveiled this man's face. No, this is the man he believes now that he has seen in that restaurant. So he believes he's in the body bag. He was the person in the restaurant that his wife lied about. He doesn't believe he's the psychoanalyst. Please help me figure it out. As he's having that call, Jaime is outside. He's just catching a break. He's just having a fag. And as he is smoking, we go into Jaime's flashback. And this flashback is of him speaking with the same medical examiner, the same one that, you know, did the preliminary on Micah's body. But this time, it was the body of Jaime's wife. We actually see the body inside of the body bag and we see that he is remembering a car accident. He was the person behind the wheel, so he has been blaming himself. And we see them at a traffic light, you know, he's just exchanging like loving words with his wife. And then the light turns green. So we know that he isn't at fault here. However, probably then whoever was riding the car through the red light was. Back inside of the office, it's a classic interrogation, like Jaime is sitting right across from Alex and he's telling him, I think you did it. And then took the body so that there's no autopsy. There's no body, there's no crime, she's declared dead and you can get the shares from the company. He asks Alex, how did the two of them meet? Like, it's really obvious that there's some differences here in both age and status. And Alex gives him a story. They met at an island, they were staying in the same hotel, but they only met once he was on the road and his tire was flat and Micah was the first person to pass by. Her parents have just died, so he was just lost. He was, you know, working and just having a holiday at this island. And so was she. To which Jaime concludes, yeah, lost, Uh uh-huh, she was lost, she was grieving, but she was also a millionaire. How convenient. She inherited so much money from her parents, the whole company, and you just happen to realize that real quick. He asks Alex to confirm how he found his wife's body, to which he said he came home from work and she was just lying on the sofa. He thought she was sleeping, but then he actually checked for pulse. He called her a few times and he realized she was dead. And here he sleeps up, saying, I loved her until the last moment. 
And Jaime is just like, you realize how that can rub people the wrong way? Like, so you don't love your wife past her death. You loved her and then, you know, she expired and now you don't love her anymore. And what about when we came looking? Where were you after you found her? After you reported to the police? He again says painkillers. So Jaime is like, show them to me. Come on, empty the pockets. When Alex doesn't have an answer, Jaime tells him, your wife hired a detective three months ago. We have your marriage contract as well. He shows him this file, you know, with the detective inscription, with the office name and everything, saying, you know, under this clause in your marriage agreement, if you cheated, you lose all of your rights. The question is, did the detective catch you? And there's only one way for us to find out, to locate that detective. We send a patrol car to the house of, yes, Javier Alonso. To which Alex immediately responds, oh my god, Javier Alonso, you will not believe this. He brings him inside of a morgue and kind of gives him the car without even looking at it. And Jaime is like, um, what am I looking at here? It says like Diego Bustamante. <laughs> so sorry. I did not mean to kill off the Rebelde fan favorite, okay? I don't think Diego Bustamante was anybody's fan favorite, Maya. But listen, I didn't know down that name. It was Diego something. It doesn't say Javier Alonso on the car. That is the whole point. So Alex is super confused now. He's like, wait, what? I mean, he literally said this name. Who is playing with it? Is this woman actually inside of the building? And we see the police on the location call Jaime saying Javier isn't here. And there are no hard drives. There are no records of any investigation at all. Alex at this very moment has had enough. He feels sick. He goes to the toilet to throw up. And yet again, they just leave him alone. So he still has the phone on him. So he calls his lover. And at this point, his lover returned home after the visit to the hospital where she confirmed the guy is still in a coma. And there was a pen drive waiting for her there. She tells him whoever this Javier guy was, They sent her everything, and they have everything. They have the pictures of the two of them. There's a voice note that she plays to him that they have had of him confessing to the heart attack plan. They had everything. They seem to have bugged their phones, which means Micah had known everything. Alex reiterates again that she needs to get lost, because that means Micah is alive. She is probably after her. Carla tells him she had already packed up. We see her going into the elevator as she's talking to him. This lift is getting stuck and it's super creepy. It's one of those old metal kind of elevators. You can hear everything. But then it gets unstuck. As soon as she gets out, he's telling her just run. Just literally run, find a location and then we can, you know, have another phone call. Figure it all out once they let me out of here. We see Carla running into the street and she sees the headlights of a car and the car just speeds up right at her. And then on the other side, Alex is screaming like, Carla, Carla, what the hell has happened? But he just hears the phone beep out. Alex runs out now. He's completely panicked. He didn't even delete this phone call. He wants to go. He's just telling them like, I need to go. I need to go. There's like some next level urgency in his voice. 
but they keep him. They're just like, yeah, yeah, sure, of course, yeah. You haven't been panicked for all this time speaking about your wife, but now you are seemingly speaking with your sister. So they put him into the room again, and finally he caves, because he's so worried about his lover and her well-being, had she been run over by a car. So he gives them all of the details. We find out that Carla and Alex met about eight months ago. They met, you guessed it, on the 20th of March. How sickeningly romantic. Love it. Gotta love it. He was teaching a class after having had fight with Micah, so he just wasn't in his element. He was kind of slurring, you know, he just couldn't really pick up his thoughts. But then she walked in 20 minutes late. And at first, you know, she had stayed after class just saying, you know, I'm really struggling with chemistry. And he was like, you know, we can do that electro-neutron thing. She might actually fail this subject and he couldn't have that. So at first, you know, she had a boyfriend. He told her he had a wife. It was just the two of them spending time in the library. But then they spent more and more time together. And when it happened for the first time with her, he felt alive. But then she broke up with her boyfriend and he wasn't ready to tell Micah the truth. But Carla wanted to end it. We see the two of them after, you know, having slept together probably a couple of times with Carla broken down. And finally, Alex says, there's a way not to divorce her. We can have it both ways. She can just have an accident. And we see in Carla's eyes her realization of what that means. But she doesn't tell him off. She doesn't tell him not to do it. He knew by this point that Micah was watching him. He knew that she'd make him start from zero if he was to divorce her. That she's definitely going to hire better lawyers. That she's going to leave him without anything. So it had to be done. Can't they just finally tell him now is Carla right? Is she alive? What happened to her? Which Jaime interrupts saying he doesn't understand something. Like, you saw her that morning drink that wine. Which if that happened, within eight hours, she would have had her heart attack. Well, he actually has an explanation for this as well. What if Micah was actually in the loop with everything? She knew that she was about to be poisoned. Well, she probably had another glass of wine next to her buff. So we see that kind of scenario where she just swaps those glasses then, finishes the glass of wine and then takes the neuroleptic. So basically after taking that neuroleptic she would have gone into some form of catalepsy and then it is risky but she likes to play. At some point she would have awoken inside of that morgue and that is probably what that guard had heard. Not even that it is somebody else taking the body, rather it was just Micah walking out. As we see that scenario play out, the police is at their house and they have found balaclava, shovel, a gun inside. It just seems like there were plans of the morgue with the codes. So this has definitely looked premeditated. Now, of course, he is going to say that that was all Micah's doing, right? That's why everything was in the house. However... Of course, they're going to think that this is all Alex, who has premeditated his wife's murder and then taking the body out to the morgue. 
And there's another police officer inside of that hospital saying, you won't believe this, but the guard actually woke up. And we see it in a flashback. The camera's acting up and the guard just witnessing it. So he decides to walk around and he spots that there's a body missing. And inside of the goods elevator, there's Micah just sitting on the ground. She still looks dead. She's just on the floor and then the door shuts. At that moment, the guard decides to ring the police, but the goods door opens and the body isn't there anymore. Rather, there's a shooter and that is why the guard was lagging it. Back in the interrogation room, Jaime is telling Alex it doesn't look good. The gun, you know, the shooter? Yeah, the bullet matches the gun that was found inside of your house. Alex still keeps insisting that Micah is behind everything. But what about the plans? What about the codes? Why was everything found in your fucking house, mate? And Alex tells him, don't you see? Everything was prepared so the death is registered and then he confesses. Jaime tells him, mate, the police is at Carla's place. The whole place is empty. She still hasn't been found, no, but we also suspect that she hasn't lived there. So have you been lying to us from the get-go? Was there even a Carla to begin with? You have deleted all of those phone calls. So what if Carla was just an inspiration, just somebody to push you to actually do this? What if Carla is your imaginary friend? You are definitely a coward. We know that so far. So what if you just needed to invent a person to just push you to kill your wife? And then there's another call because a body had been found. So they put Alex in the back of the police car and they're all going to the location, which is in the middle of the woods. And of course here, the police isn't telling him who is body. They still don't know. And you can see Alex in the back of that car breaking it because you just know he kind of wishes it was his wife, even though that would prove that he killed her and he would land in prison and not his lover because, you know, he's a fucking sissy who has actually fallen in love with his lover. In the middle of those woods, Jaime is taking his precious time. You can see he's enjoying this moment of torture. He's just slowly opening that bag, and then we see it is his wife. At that moment, Jaime chooses to tell him that Carla Miller doesn't live in that flat, that it has been vacant for years, The student records don't have that name. She just doesn't exist. Now, Alex is desperate. And Jaime, at this moment, dispatches everybody. He's just like, you know, me and him are going to return to the police office. You know, you can all go. You take the body to the morgue, etc., etc. So he stays on his own with Alex. And at this moment, Alex decides, you know what? What do I have to lose? He starts legging it inside of these woods. He falls down, he tramples, and he's like crawling. It's kind of like pathetic, to be honest. (laughs) He's just like, mate, you can't just crawl your way out of this situation. Like, this person is actually in, you know, good physical health. He's Jose Coronado, for fuck's sake. He has had probably awards for his acting. He can run after you. Once he does and he catches up to him, he turns Alex over and you can see at his face that he doesn't feel so well. You kind of start thinking, wait a minute, is he 
having a heart attack. Jaime says we've been in this morgue for hours. I mean, it's only natural you feel like crap. And this is when it clicked for me. I was like, this is the origin villain story. This is his villain story. He has been behind this, but wait, how? Well, I tell you how. Because Jaime tells him she died 10 years ago today. The official record stated it was an accident. And my daughter was with us inside of a car. She was alive. But the call to the emergency would have saved my wife's life. However, the driver chose to drive away. And Jaime had been beating himself up for 10 years. He couldn't remember a thing. But years later, his daughter remembered. There was a keychain on that mirror inside of a car, and the keychain was from Avalon, a hotel in Santa Catalina, the island where Micah and Alex just happened to have met. We see the accident as it happened in that flashback. All three of them... Jaime, his wife and daughter, waking up inside of that car. And it seemed like at that moment, whoever collided with them had also woken up. And as Jaime realizes his wife has just passed away and the daughter is looking out of the window, we see that they don't notice, but Alex is in the other car. And then we see Micah's face in the passenger seat and she tells him, step on it. And as the daughter had made eye contact with both of them and has spotted that keychain, we see who the daughter is in real life. Because she is in Jaime's wallet. And she is Carla Miller. Well, rather, her actual name is Eva. So it was father and daughter plotting it all along. We see the scenes replay. The it must have been something more personal when Jaime told him during their first interrogation. Jaime taking the body out in order to taunt him. The lover planting the shovel and the evidence. She didn't study there, she just had the access. Dad was the one behind the calls in the morgue whimpering, and daughter, meanwhile, was faking that she's in danger. Once she ran out of that building, she intentionally dropped that phone in such a way once a car passed her by. Jaime tells Alex, who at this point is just convulsing on the ground, that Eva didn't even believe it to begin with. She had to see for herself. And the only way she could do it is to make you talk, in order to be sure that you're the person who killed her mom. The detective was a bargain. Everything was done by his daughter and him. They just hired the detective under Micah's name and then faked that invoice. The only thing on the record would be Micah hiring him. He is on a vacation now, so he won't figure anything out. And we see the daughter calling Jaime, saying that she is off to Berlin. Because, according to the records, that place hasn't been lived in for months. And according to his own phone records, every single phone call had been deleted. So Carla Miller had never existed. What they do have on the record now are the confession tapes. And now they also have Micah's body that can prove that he was behind killing her. Sooner or later, someone calls the death. We see his lover putting some drops of TH-16 into Alex's drink. Once he was last with her and at the moment that the police had called. 
saying that a body had been taken out of the morgue. We see the clocks at that time and then now. And it is exactly eight hours and the cardiac arrest hits with no trace. And Jaime tells us tick-tock. And that is the end of the movie. El Cuerpo. The body. What did you think about this? Are you going to watch this one? Tell me. Let me know. Would I like recommend recommend it? I would still say yes. Because I'm weak. I'm weak when it comes to the Spanish movies. I wish... I wish I figured this one out sooner, though. And not at the moment where, like, literally, it was, like, 10 minutes left or whatever. When he was running on the ground. And I was like, okay, he looks like a villain now. Jaime looks like a villain. Like, fucking idiot. Should have figured it from that TH16 moment. Like, literally, the first plot twist there, then and there. Because I was like, who else would have known? The lover. So that means the lover is in on it. Okay, TBH, that moment did make me suspect Carla, the lover. I thought that she was behind stealing the body for some reason. Maybe the two women, you know, conjured up this plot of revenge together. I thought that would be the plot because I've seen a lot of fucking movies like that. But what's done well is that the whole accident, like Jaime's life story, like with his wife, is just so like brushed up. It's kind of just put there as like a very underlying plot. It's like, hey, yeah, there was this traffic light and, you know, it happened. It's not really making you feel like okay this is like a prevalent part in this whole plot and that's what was done well so I guess yes you know the plot twist once you actually see it you're like okay this was obvious as fuck (laughs) but like still I liked it I liked it of course you did you're so biased towards anything that is Spanish anything that has Spanish actors you're biased to it as fuck okay what is the next movie or series that you want me to watch for the minisode for the fake crime yes make it Spanish (laughs) make it international I like covering international shit and I shall be seeing you then and there until then you keep making this world a better place. One fake crime or true crime at a time. One motive at a time. You figure them all out. What was the motive? Why? Why did people do everything? Even if it is fictional plot, why was it done in such a way? Suspicious. Suspect everybody. That is some start to the new year. And go and listen to that playlist. Listen. Hannah Montana, Miley Cyrus, all of your TikTok trends originate from that playlist. I'm telling you. I even got really hooked on the Mariah Carey song. The I'm obsessed with you. Yeah. Hooked. I've never liked a Mariah Carey song in my life. I feel like TikTok is influencing me beyond control. I feel like I need to get off of that fucking app. (laughs) Because I'm suddenly back in my childhood. That is app for teenagers. And I'm hooked on it as a 29-year-old. What did we learn today? Nothing. What are we going to take away from this? Nothing. Great. Love that for me. Turning 30 this year. Still learning nothing. Cool. So I'm going to go now and edit this beauty and then publish it to you. (laughs) So that you can see the unraveling of unhingedness. Yeah, that's a word. Make it. Make it the word. You immigrant little shit. Uh, Bye, guys. Bye, fuckers. Speak soon.